0: This is Pandemic Buzz, a place where resilience practitioners gather to listen to insights from crisis management, business continuity, and crisis communications professionals. I'm your host, Devin Strumentis, a managing director at Widow O'Brien's, a firm solely dedicated to supporting clients to prepare, respond, and recover from devastating events. Throughout this series, you'll hear from subject matter experts from a variety of industries and geographies. The intent is to share insights and best practices that you can adopt during these unusual times, or at the very minimum, some human elements that will further connect us as we adapt to new routines, both at work and at home. Josh, thanks for joining us as a guest on Pandemic Buzz today.
1: Hey, Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. Could you please tell our listeners who you are, your title, and what your company does? Sure, my name is uh, Josh Walker, and uh, I look after crisis management and business continuity for uh, Baker Hughes Company, which is a energy technology company uh, located in Houston, Texas.
0: Language and definitions are incredibly important for resilience practitioners. However, in my experience, they're oftentimes intermixed as they're used across the company. With that in mind, is your company defined what's going on with the pandemic as a crisis, or are they referring to it more as a business continuity initiative?
1: You know, that's a great question. I think we've really approached this as both. As you know, it started out uh, early in China, Uh, where we have a lot of critical operations. So it was more of a disruption-type issue for us, which required our continuity response to kick in. Of course, as it spread across the globe, it became apparent that this was more of a worldwide crisis. And for Baker Hughes, we utilized the model in which uh, crisis management is the umbrella, and the various response programs, such as business continuity, is an input that's more run by our supply chain operations team. So to answer your question, uh, for us, this was both. One doesn't really necessarily work very well without the other.
0: Did people feel like they were prepared for an event like this as a result of prior training or exercises or maybe prior experiences? And if you're getting that feedback, is there anything specifically that led to this feeling?
1: You know, due to the nature of the oil and gas industry and a large part of our company's oil field service, we operate in many environments that uh, globally that we're pretty familiar with the crisis management process. And this, this program has been well established for years. While we did add teams to uh, certain places because of the COVID response, for the most part, our teams have been named, trained, and done several exercises and real-life scenarios over the years. You look at as recent as January, and our Middle East and North Africa team stood up because of the issues going on in Iraq. No company is ever truly prepared, and you always, you can always say that hindsight is twenty-twenty. However, overall, Baker Hughes and specifically the oil and gas industry is used to these type of disruptions, and we find ourselves, uh, you know, much more prepared than many of our uh, counterparts. What unique
0: corporate or cultural attributes, in addition to the ones you kind of just mentioned, have made your company more effective during this response?
1: You know, since we're an energy technology company with deep roots in both the oil and gas industry and industrial manufacturing, this was something that we've dealt with, as I've said in the past. And as I mentioned, by the nature of operating in the space, disruption and black swan events are, are, are fairly common. I think what made our company unique is we have so many people who've dealt with these type of issues, and we have a great amount of experience to lean on uh, with those leaders and with those ground level people dealing with these type of issues. I think what was hardest for us is the sheer size of our company and the moving parts. We have 68,000 plus employees and 10,000 plus travelers worldwide a month. When many of these countries began closing their borders, we had a lot, of do, a lot to do very quickly to repatriate employees, to still service our customers in some of those countries that closed off. Uh, and that really was a challenge. But overall, I think we made it through fairly well.
0: So having uh, worked with multinational global corporations, uh, we see different strategies for how headquarters level crisis management teams coordinate with site level or geographic teams. Can you describe a little bit how you guys are set up?
1: Yeah. So with Baker Hughes, um, obviously we have, uh, you know, we're operating 120 countries plus and 68,000 employees. So we have a lot of different geographic and business areas around the world. Generally, how we're set up is on the site level, you have kind of our emergency response teams that are really dealing with those tactical ground level decisions. And depending on the complexity and the impact to the company, we go in kind of a uh, pyramid type model where that next level above the site emergency response, you have either country or sub-product level uh, big teams. And they roll up into more of our regional teams like Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East, et cetera, which then rolls up into our global crisis management team at the corporate level. So what we want is for those site level teams and those country level teams to have the autonomy to make decisions and do what's best based on what their information and what their geographical requirements are, but be able to roll up that information into the corporate team so we can drive consistency and, and, and uh, leverage best practices back and forth. And I go into a, a quote that I use quite often is, it's about autonomy of the parts, but unity of action of the whole. And that's really what we go for uh, within Baker Hughes. Has
0: there been a decision or decisions
1: that this crisis has
0: forced you into that you never in a million years thought you would make?
1: Uh, I don't. Sometimes I don't know where to start with a question <laughs> like that. Um, you know, I've been doing crisis management business continuity for years for this company and and a little bit of uh, externally in other places. And we really created this company from the ground up in 2017 be- from the merger of Baker Hughes Incorporated and in G Oil and Gas. And we've always preached to our teams, you know, prepare for realistic type issues fires and civil unrest, hurricanes, product failures, things along those lines. And never did I think or, or I think anybody really contemplated the idea where you'd have every single regional functional business and site level team worldwide activated all at once. It, it's a, a historic thing for us. And on top of that, we had a historic crash in energy prices, as you probably saw um, you know, over the last few months with demand way down. And it's really a double whammy. So, We've had to make a lot of decisions, I think, that weren't expected to be made um, at this, you know, in this type of fashion. And, um, you know, we had to handle sending um, employees out to still do our job and still deliver to our customers while at the same time do that safely with the overhang of all of the you know, global issues, the regional issues, country issues, social unrest, theft, all that sort of stuff. So there's been a lot of decisions that we've had to make. Very quickly, I don't think anybody anticipated we would have to do so.
0: Throughout all those experiences, what have you learned about your connection with your employees and your ability to
1: communicate with them? Yeah, and then that's a great question. Um, you know, as obviously as a large company with uh, sixty-eight thousand employees in one hundred and twenty different country. Dozens and dozens of different languages. It's a real challenge and it's something that as a company, I think we've handled very well is we do have those regional and country level crisis management teams that are more tied in with the local employees. So we've used a multiple different um, communication methods from traditional email to our intranet page town halls virtually, of course, uh, of our leadership out there. We've also done virtual town halls from our corporate leadership. And we use a variety of other tools like ENS and et cetera, to be able to communicate with our employees. On top of that, our our commercial team is staying in close contact with customers. Obviously, even in a pandemic, energy is still needed. Oil and gas is still needed. Our customers still need those things. So we've had to, by necessity, continue the communication, both internally for our employees, laying out expectations while at the same time explaining to them what we're doing to be able to keep them safe and stay in contact with our customers to still provide energy.
0: So we've talked a little bit about leadership decision making. Uh, we've covered communications both internally and externally. If we start thinking about site readiness, do you think that there will be need to be changes made, either physical or behavioral, in your office as a result of the coronavirus?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when you look at what in the short term we're looking at doing is remaining remote for longer. And we found that while it's different, we're still able to operate remotely, um, virtually people working from home. Uh, that reduces the exposure. In the medium and long term, when we do start returning to the office, it's going to look very different. I don't think anybody has the exact answer of what that's going to be, but some of the you know general guidance that we've looked at is, is reduced capacity, increased hand washing stations and social distancing guidelines, entry screenings, things along that line. Um, and as we get into uh, that state, we're going to have to constantly adjust as we learn more, as we figure out more, um, as we adopt best practices across different sites, and we see what other customers are doing. And for us, because we're sending people out onto customer sites, out on the customer rigs, it's being adaptable in the regions and by customers what those what those specific uh, requirements will look like, so we can continue to deliver it to our uh, customers while also you know keeping our employees safe.
0: So once you get the space ready, moving into workforce planning. Are your business leaders and managers prepared to phase people back and and how are they thinking of doing so and, and what factors are they using to determine, you know, which employees should be included in initial waves if you're taking a wave approach?
1: You know, absolutely. And we've already started that process internally. Our HR is in lockstep with our managers and our business units to identify those people who are working remotely now, but would be more effective working in the office or need to have an ability to come to the office. and. That's a part of business continuity is identifying who those people are and how we do that in a safe manner. What that actually looks like with as far as percentages of people and how it will be, it'll vary. Um, it'll vary by business unit within us or within our company internally. You know, we have long cycle and short cycle businesses, so they have those different needs. We'll have different regions who have different um, you know, necessities uh, based on local requirements, how many people can come in, that sort of thing. But I think what we'll see um, as an impact, not just in our industry, but globally, is more people will be able to work from home. will be able to have that virtual work assignment and just have the ability to go in and use an office when it's necessary. And then having things set up so that we can make that happen.
0: Now that we're actually experiencing the first in a generation pandemic, how do you think this will impact how your company and your customers actually conduct business going forward? What's going to change?
1: You know, I think a lot's going to change, but at this point, it's it's speculation on exactly what that means. In the short term, uh, we can make this remote option work, and I think we are, and I think everybody is doing it fairly well. We still have people out in the field and on customer sites and in the manufacturing floor helping bring energy to the world. In the long term, how does that look? I think everyone's trying to figure that out. I think it's going to be different for different industries and different companies, uh, and it really depends on the culture of a company. And I think for us internally, we're going to, you know, obviously look at ways to empower employees to work virtually while also giving them that option to come into the office when they need to, um, you know, of course, in a safe manner.
0: Was there anything that was extraordinarily important to you before this happened that's no longer important to you at all? And I'm talking from a personal perspective or even a professional perspective.
1: Well, sleep is, I think, the first one. And I I adjust about that. But um, I think prioritizing is something that we've really had to do better. And I personally have had to do better. Within Baker Hughes, uh, the security team owns the crisis management process. There's a lot of normal day-to-day security stuff that I think we've had to prioritize and put aside a little bit, physical security audits, investigations, some traveler stuff. Uh, We've really had to move that aside and prioritize the coronavirus, um, which has been good because it helped us refocus on what we really need to spend our time on. Personally, there's definitely been some things that I've put aside and some things that I've made that are more important now. For me personally, working out is definitely one of them to be able to keep my mental sanity um, and, and keep going through work. Uh, and, and I think that's a, a big learning for me is is what do I need to spend time and what do I not need to? Yeah.
0: And I think you hit on a, an important theme there. And I'm experiencing it myself, and a lot of our other listeners are as well. It's really the lack of variance in routine can put you kind of in that introspective place or, you know, macro level questioning what's going on in the world. Did you discover anything about yourself during this time that you may have forgotten?
1: Yeah. And, and I think you hit a really good point is about, the both the lack of routine and the no variance in the routine and I found that you have to have a little bit of both. You do need to still have a bit of a routine waking up and when you have your commute from your bedroom to your office within your house and vice versa, it can be very easy to get stuck in that you know, day to day. So it is still waking up and making sure I put on, you know, jeans and an actual shirt instead of just my pajamas and and making sure I get my workout in, making sure I do take a little bit of time. And I'm one of those lucky people that I really do love what I do. But because of that, and because I'm at home, there is no natural separation of getting up from my office um, location and driving home and having that separation of being able to spend time with family. So I've spent you know, far too many hours in, in my little home office, tucked away and working well past probably when I should. I can't tell you how many calls I've taken, you know, very late at night, very, early, very early in the morning. and And I'd say it's reinforced that I do need to at some point step up and spend that time with the family. I mean, as, a, you know, as having a young family, <laughs> sometimes my, uh, my kids don't necessarily understand that while they can see me through a glass wall, you know, I'm a little bit busy and they're knocking on there. So it, it, it's making sure you set boundaries and you set a routine, but also uh, vary it up in order to, to keep yourself mentally going. Yeah,
0: and I think we've got kids at home as well. And I think during this time, I've seen people be incredibly gracious and accepting of those facts of everyone is now working in this home office environment.
1: You know, that's a great point. And it's something I've told my team and I've heard other people say it is we're not allowed to apologize for dogs barking or kids going nuts or anything like that. It is just a part of life now and there's nothing to be sorry for. And just a little thing like not apologizing for your kids screaming in the background just lets everybody know it's okay. It's life.
0: Yeah. connects us to in terms of there's other people going through very similar things.
1: Absolutely.
0: The world's watching to see if we're all moving into a new normal where there very well could be a flu season, an ammonia season, a coronavirus season, maybe even sometimes simultaneously. So if you're following this hypothetical with me, what would you want to incorporate into future planning for crisis or even for future pandemics?
1: You no, know, this is a great question. This is This is something that I think everybody is wondering and everybody is thinking through. Being in the oil and gas industry and energy technology, we've really focused more on you know some of the more natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes, and more um, man-made issues like social unrest and and civil wars, things like that. So, pandemic isn't ha- isn't something we've thought about a lot, and I think. It's pushed into the forefront of everybody's mind, uh, and how we incorporate that into plans, I think, is is extremely important at that ground level for us. That's our emergency response plans. It's having things about, you know, in there about early identification and screening, and how we, you know, disinfect and clean a site, how we quarantine employees, make notifications, and make sure that if you do have somebody who comes to the site and is sick that we keep it as small and isolated as possible. That way we don't infect other employees, don't get other people sick, and we don't shut down operations. The goal is to minimize it as much as possible in a safe manner. And that's something I don't know that many people thought about prior to the pandemic, but I think it's fundamental going forward.
0: So last question for the listeners getting into some some lessons learned. Down the road, what is it that you'll tell your kids or grandkids or the next generation about this experience as they enter the workforce? And I'm talking about as they become adults. You know, what, what learning will you impart from all of this?
1: You know, that's a great question. I think a couple of the biggest lessons is, is one, being flexible. I think we all know bad things will happen. And that's okay. Bad things do happen. But when they do, you have a choice. You can either make the best of them or you can shrink away. You know, crises like this are a great time to accelerate your learning and your development. You get a vast amount of experience in a very short time and you can handle it that way and step up to the challenge or you can shrink away. And and being flexible is really important. Two is preparation. As I said, bad things will happen, but you don't have to be caught with nothing. You know, different places you have different types of crises, and and none of us expected, ex- expected a pandemic. But myself, like I live in Houston, and hurricanes do happen. It's it's being prepared. There were so many people who who lost their jobs and who went on who had furloughs and things like that, and, and through no fault of their own, and, and trying to be a little prepared, build a savings where you can. And I think the third and and the most important thing is. It's okay to cut yourself some slack now and again, especially with times like this. We, many of us have worked just you know, a lot of hours and really felt the burden of getting things done and delivering and, and, and doing things. And as I mentioned, working early in the morning until late at night, but cutting yourself some slack and taking a break in the middle of a crisis. is okay. Taking an hour to shut off your phone and your computer and go for a walk or spend time with your family. It's important. It's just getting a little bit of separation to keep yourself going. So really, you know, those are, those are some big takeaways for me. From all our guests, I'm, I'm picking up
0: similar themes. And one of my takeaways is, you know, I'm going to tell people, plan to be surprised.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And in and crisis management and business continuity, our goal is to not be surprised. And if we right. are, at least be prepared.
0: So, Josh, I wanted to thank you for being a guest on Pandemic Buzz. I really enjoyed the episode and, and thanks for uh, making some time for us
1: today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again for listening to Pandemic Buzz. Please like and share this podcast with your colleagues and be sure to catch our next episode.